have to put your hand up. It'd be nice if you wanted to. You, you, yep, Debbie. Only Debbie. That's good. Debs, I'm glad that I've been able to, to help you along in this. I have, I have, as we go through these, I, I get to spend the time going back through and rereading and, and relearning a lot of stuff as well. And this has been incredibly encouraging and, and challenging to me. Actually reading through Paul and who he is and, and, and what it is he's writing to a people. And, you know, I've been somewhat challenged because he constantly and, and, and constantly and constantly and constantly is reiterating and reestablishing how God is asking us to operate in his kingdom. And, you know, there's, there's a word that's being tossed around and has been for the last little while, two, two words that kind of go hand in hand, the, the remnant of people and the harvest that's to come, right? This great harvest. And I was chatting with, with a friend during the week, and I said, you know, this harvest really challenges me because this is the people of God coming in in mass number. The people of God coming in in mass number. And I said, I don't know if we're ready for that. I don't know if we're ready as a people to actually receive, God, what it is you're going to pour out on us. See, there's a, there's a job as, as us to do is to ready the bride, to prepare the bride. And I think that what Paul is doing in these letters when he writes as a, as a super apostle, if you will, he's writing in a manner to actually prepare the bride for Jesus. That there's a preparation that takes place, a cleansing, a coming before him. And he's saying, I need to prepare you as a people and get you ready for what's to come. And I was challenged because, because the remnant of people need to be ready. So if we're going to be the remnant, which I think we are and I think we can be, there's a refining that takes place. There's a readying that takes place. God called Gideon the man of valor. My man of valor. Gideon wasn't the strongest in his family. But he spent time in the, in the press, he spent time treading out the grain. What that means is it's a prophetic picture of he spent time with the, with the Father. He spent time seeking the heart of God. And, and, and God comes along and he says, there he is, my remnant. There he is, my man of valor, the one who spent time with me, the one who knows me. And then he calls Gideon to do all kinds of things that were out of this world in today's understanding. That God is saying, my people, if you want to be my remnant, if you want to be my men and women of valor, the ones who will usher in the great harvest, who will usher in a mighty move that has been spoken about in Australia, time in and time out, he says, come away with me. Come to the press and tread out the grain. Come and learn who I am. Come and spend time at my feet. Come and understand what my words are saying. Don't just read it because you think you have to read it to understand what it is I'm saying. The beauty of Christ hidden in the Scriptures is, blows me away every time. Jess and I got to go to a, a Passover dinner last night with a, a guy who led it from Israel. and He led a traditional Passover feast. And the whole time I was blown away by the hidden picture of Jesus all throughout. And he said something very interesting. He said, if you're praying for Israel, if you're praying for the Jews of the land, just ask that the veil be removed, that the symbols they use be shown for who Jesus really is. 
Because the whole time I'm watching this thing and there's, there's all kinds of these elements on the table and pictures. And I'm like, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's the lamb slain. That's the beauty of Christ. That's our, that's our hope right there. It was this incredible picture, although I drank way too much juice because we used juice and I was sugared out. But the picture of Christ all throughout your scriptures should make you passionately excited about knowing more of him. Passionately excited. And when I read Paul, when I read what it is he's saying, I start understanding, Lord, this is who you sent for us to understand and prepare ourselves for what's to come. The preparation is done one-on-one, man to the Father, woman to the Father. Christ speaking in you and through you. The line Paul takes in our modern Western understanding or teaching is a harsh line. But what he's doing is he's trying to ready a people. Do you know that a child doesn't enjoy the things that make them step into manhood? I didn't enjoy learning how to wash my own clothes. I didn't enjoy learning that I had to pay for water. First water bill I ever got, I was like, what is this nonsense? Water's free. I didn't enjoy some of the things that stood me into manhood, that stood me in as an adult. But it's this refining time. It's It's this growing up. And Paul's letters are full of children grow up in the Lord. Come and grow into what it is I'm leading you into. And Paul carries this on in Ephesians 4, verse 28. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work for his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corruption talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Sean sang that song this morning. He said, let our spirits, sorry, let our souls not treat another poorly. That wasn't the lyric, but I can't remember what the lyric was, but that's what it was saying. Let our spirits, Lord, not treat each other poorly. That's what Paul is saying in this verse. He's saying there's a way for us to act with one another. There's a way for us to act together, to actually bring ourselves into how God is growing us up, how God is is building us. Paul says in this, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work for his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And I got thinking about this while I was reading. I was was asking God, why would Paul be talking to the church? And then he goes and he speaks about a thief. Because it was was those who would have been saved that he would have been teaching. Those would have been listening, but he he was speaking to both Jew and Gentile in Ephesus, predominantly to the Gentile. But he's saying, do not steal anymore. Because he's saying that when you've been saved, you've come into a new way. You've come into a new kingdom. What would have been okay then is not okay in this way for you to live. But he's not giving them a list of rules to fulfill. He's saying your life then, your life then was not being fulfilled because you were not following the ways in which God has given us to follow. 
So he's saying to them, do not go and continue to steal. And I've said this many a time for this, from this barrel, but there was a teaching that Mike taught Jess and I when we first started leading. And we, were, we were looking over the church finances and, and looking over and understanding. And he said to us, do not trade in the dark or you will receive in the dark. Trade in the light and you will receive in the light. And what he went on to, to explain is that when I can see in the light, I know what it is I hold in my hand, I know what I'm giving into, and I know what I'm getting back. But in the dark, I don't know what it is I'm receiving. So we think, oh, well, it's okay. I'll just skimp a little bit here or a little bit there. Or the guy at the counter didn't really ring up my thing all right, and I got this free bag of something. That's a blessing from the Lord. Right? We like to, we like to put fancy language on it. Oh, it's a blessing from the Lord. No, it's a trade in the darkness. It's a trade in the darkness. And you think, oh, I've got a way here. Look at all this stuff. But you don't know what you hold in your hand. Now, you may have received a free bag of apples, but the, the, the thing in your heart that's been traded for, the position, the foothold, the place that you've given open to is now freely operating and moving. And then all of a sudden, I don't know why all these things are happening. See, we have to begin to understand. I spoke about last week about, about killing killing the dragon, the baby dragon, so it doesn't become a big monster in our life. We have to learn the little things that become big things because I got away with a free bag of apples. Let me see next week what I can get away with. Let me see the week after. Let me see the week after, the week after, the week after, until all of a sudden, two, three, four, five years down the track, I'm caught for tax evasion. And I go, I don't know where this came from because you didn't deal with it right back at the very beginning. I keep using the same pictures because Paul says the same things over and over and over again through his letters. But we have to understand God giving us a life to live is like opening up an Ikea table. right? We get the thing out of the box and we go, no, 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 I can just make it on my own. I don't need to read the instruction. All the men out there are like, absolutely. Do not need the instruction. It's partially in German. Don't worry about it. I'll do it on my own. Until about halfway through where we realize there's 13 pieces that haven't gone anywhere. And then we have to go back to the instruction manual. And then it's even harder because now I'm trying to follow steps that no longer exist. That's what we do in our Christian walk. That's what we do in our Christian walk. We go, no, 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 God, I, I don't need you. I've got this. I've got this. We get halfway through the thing and then we go, oh, there's all these pieces left. So then frantically we go to prayer and we go to the Bible. Lord, what are you doing? Why aren't you leaving me in the right place? And then we have to go all the way back to the beginning and go, oh my goodness, the mess started here. The problem started here. Over a bag of apples, I'm now all the way down there with the wrong table having been built. See, God is asking us, I know your life. Son, daughter, I called you in your womb, in your mother's womb before you were even born. I wrote a book on your life. I've given you every step you need to know. I know where you're going. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I'm the author and finisher. I'm the author and finisher. I've written the book. I've finished the book. I know where you're going. Trust me. But what happens is we get caught up in here. 
We run and we run and we run. I'm just going to get it done. And Paul keeps saying, come back, come back, come back. So when he's calling out the thief, he's saying, you Gentiles, the old way where you used to get away with stuff, that's not doing you any good. Let me teach you how to do this. And this is really tricky. This is going to be hard to hear. Do honest work with your own hands. Do honest work with your own hands so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. You know, for us to be generous, we've got to have something to be generous with. For me to give something to Cat, I've got to have something to give. So if I don't have any time, if I don't have any finances, if I don't have any empathy, if I don't have any love, I can't give her anything. So I'm supposed to be generous as a people of God. I'm supposed to be generous as a people of Christ. And it comes and I open my pockets and there's nothing in there. So Paul is saying, yeah, because you haven't done the honest work. You haven't prepared in order to be a blessing unto others. You're barely scraping by yourself. So we get to a place of, well, I want to emotionally care for people, but in my own self, I'm emotionally drained. Then go to the river and sit with the Father and be recharged so that you can give to the person who needs you to give. Yeah, but they should have to give to me because I'm the tired one. Right? They should have to give to me. I'm the one without anything. No, you're called to be a king and a priest, to be a nation of God. So you go, you get recharged, and you go to that brother that's hurting, and you give of some of the energy and recharge that you've gotten. I hated being in a place where I didn't have any finances. Because I'd go to a restaurant, I'm like, man, I wish that I could shout the table. Man, I wish that I could pay for this guy. But I don't even know how I'm going to pay for my own meal. I don't even know how I'm going to get across the, the board today. Lord, can you give me someone to pay for me? Yeah, I can because there's seasons of that. But get out of that. If you've been in a perpetual cycle of tiredness, get out of it. If you've been in a perpetual cycle of emotionally drained, get out of it. If you've been in a perpetual cycle of financial dependentship, get out of it. But Ben, I don't know how. Then grab a brother or a sister who's around you, draw on the body that's with you and ask, can you help me go further in this? Can you help me do honest work with my hands? Can you help me get myself to a position where I can bless those who are around me? What tends to happen in the contemporary Western church is we go around and we go around and we go around and we go around and it's always somebody else's fault. But Paul is saying, my friends, pick up your hands. God has given you talents. He's given you strategies. He's put a gift in you. He knows who you are. He's calling you to a generation. He's calling you to a people. But you're so caught on self-pity. You're so caught on sitting on your own hands that you can't see who he's made you to be. Paul is saying, prepare your storehouse. Prepare your storehouse. Be ready. Because when the, when the time comes, when the time comes and the multitudes start to come in, he needs you to be ready. He needs you to have a storehouse full to give, to grow. You see, the idea of sowing and reaping, the idea that God speaks about, and I'm going to speak about finances in a few weeks, but the idea about sowing and reaping is that there's a position that when I sow, I will reap. 
right, which shows two things, bread and seed. And the Bible always speaks about the difference between bread and seed. And what we have is people will bury their bread or they'll eat their seed. And the bread is for what? It's for sustenance. God will give you, God will give you the bread. We heard Nessie speak about it this morning. He will give you the bread that I need in my hands. Lord, I have to feed my family. I have to put a house over my family. I need clothes on my back. That's the bread. That's what we need. That's sorry, that's that's what we need to survive. But then he gives us something else. He gives us a seed, but the seeds to sow. So you start going, I have more money in my account than I actually need. Good. Don't waste it. Hold it. Get ready. When that guy comes and he needs you, buy his dinner. When that guy comes and he needs you, put tires on his car. When that person comes and they need you, then dip into that seed and sow it. Why? Because it will reap a harvest for you and for the person you sow it into. Be ready to sow. But what, what happens is guys go, I've got so much money coming in. I'm going to go and buy all the things that I want and all the things that I need. So I fill my house with goodies. I fill my house with things. And I put them in my account. I put them, I've got all the different toys that you could want. And then that guy comes and he says, man, I need something to eat. Hey, sorry, man, I don't have any money left. I ate all my seed. It does two things. It doesn't allow you to sow into that guy's life and it doesn't allow you to reap a harvest either side. It doesn't allow him to reap a harvest either side. But what happens is we often only do this with our finances. So people go, no, I'm really good, man. I give away $5,000 a week. I make $10,000. i am killing it. It's been really awesome. Cool, but how's your time? Can you sow and reap in your time the same way you sow and reap with your finances? It's a little bit more difficult because I'm maxed out. I work 52 hours a week. I spend four hours a week with my family. I sleep the other six hours. My math isn't great, but you know where I'm going. I was, in my head, I knew I was going, I was going to get stuck. <laughs> but we, do you understand what I'm saying? Right? Paul is saying, prepare, 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 get ready. Learn how to sow. Learn how to reap. Learn what your bread is. Learn what your seed is. And prepare with both because the harvest that you will reap will be one that is important. It's about those that God's bringing in. It's about those who are around me. Why? Because my jewels will be in heaven. Do honest work with your hands that may, he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Don't wait for someone else to do the work that you've been asked to do. Don't wait for somebody else to do the work that you've been asked to do. Guys, I know that this is, is challenging. And I know that, we, Ben, when are you going to tell us God loves us? When are you going to preach on something that we can walk out of here and feel encouraged and walk out of here like we have something to do? Because my heart is passionate about the church being ready, about the bride being ready. It doesn't faze me if we get down to four people and I say, but are you ready to be refined by fire? Are you ready to stand in the press like Gideon and ready yourself to say, Lord, I'm ready. Where will you have me go? What do you want me to do with my hands? Because we have to be a body that's ready to heal the nations. And right now, we're not the body that's ready to heal the nations. 
that's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. He's saying to the church in Ephesus, church, it's going to get tough. You are in a pagan world. You are in a ritualistic world. You're in a place where they don't care for Yahweh. They don't care for the Father. But I tell you, when you ready yourself, when you sow your seed, I will reap a harvest like you've never seen before. You see, we can't look at all the verses like Haggai and, and, and other places where they prophesy a harvest. They prophesy this great move of God without looking at the way Paul prepared the people. We can't have our cake and eat it too. We either prepare and get ready and we'll see the harvest or we relax and hang out and we'll miss what God's asking us to see. Paul continues on in 29 and he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So he's saying, work your hands, get ready to toil the field, get ready to do the things that I've asked you to do. Work hard, prepare a place to give from. Get your bread, eat it, but get your seed and get ready to serve. And in the same time, watch what comes out of your mouth. Watch what words leave your tongue. Watch what you say because what we want to do in this time is only build up, is not tear down, and is to prepare and express the grace of Christ in every instance in which we go, in every place that we find ourselves. We all know the verse, Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. We know that verse. We've quoted that verse. We've said that verse when we're talking about finances and to speak life over our finances. But what does that look like in our workplaces? What does that look like on the golf course? What does that look like with our closest friends? What does that look like when the doors are closed? What does it mean for life and death to be in my tongue? And how do I steward that gift in which I've been given? Am I actually using that gift like it's been portrayed? Like if God said to you, here's a staff, wherever you touch that staff and declare life or death, it will do whichever of the two you declare. Right? We would be going around with that staff, hitting it on all kinds of things. Right? Life, 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 life. We'd be just touched on stuff. Oh, Dave, you're not feeling well. Here's some life off my staff. Because we can see a physical, tangible thing in our hands. But God says, I want you to operate in faith, but I've put the world on your tongue. It's there. You've got that staff in your hand. But it's something that we have to learn. We have to renew. Jess and I pull each other up on this all the time. What did you just say? That wasn't helpful in the situation. And I've spoken about this before, the difference between truth and reality. We can't run away from the reality, but we have to speak the truth. The reality is before us, but the truth is in our mouth. The truth was given to us on the cross. The truth was allowed, my son, my daughter. You want a powerful um, ability to change, this, to change your surroundings, to change your word. Here's truth, here's life and death. I'll put it in your mouth. But we have to learn how to harness that gift. We have to learn how to build up and not tear down. Jesus is a God of redemption. He redeems a situation. He doesn't, fall, he doesn't tear it apart. So when you walk into a situation, regardless of whether someone has been mean to you, has tore you apart, has called you for everything, the position of our heart is life on our tongue and redemption in our words. 
I want to redeem the person across from me, regardless of how much that hurt me. I know who you are. I know what God's put in you. And I'm going to choose in this time to speak that life over you. But we also have to get to a place where we, where we pull each other up on this. But someone has to give you that place. Matt has to allow me to speak into his life before I can say, hey, bro, what you just said there wasn't helpful. Let's rephrase that. Let's, let's, cap, let's capture those things you said. Let's rephrase what you said. These guys have operated in this level of life over the last three or four months. The financial breakthrough that these guys have seen in that. Powell's bike was replaced. A house was given. Wedding that they've had got testimony of testimony of stuff they've been planning for their wedding where God has broken in. But it doesn't always have to be financial. I said before, if you're in a perpetual cycle of no time or, or low emotional energy, then start to speak over that area of your life. Start to declare, God, I'm not going to live like this anymore. Before you reach for something with your hands, go into your quiet place, go into your prayer place and say, God, enough is enough. I'm tired of being tired. I don't want to be emotionally drained anymore. I don't want to have things speaking in my head anymore. I don't want to be anxious anymore. I'm going to continue to speak your life over my life, your truth over my life again and again and again and again. And then I'm going to bring brothers and sisters in to actually come and agree with me to establish a thing in you. And I'm going to continue to stand on your truth because you are the King of Kings and you are the Lord of Lords and you've given me the ability in my mouth. We have to learn as a people how to harness the most powerful tool God gave us. I don't have time to go completely into it, but do you know why, why God had to go down at the Tower of Babel? It says, because if I didn't stop them, there would have been no end to their creation. God realized in unity, in unity, carrying my image with life and death and the power of their tongue, they created a tower to the heavens. What else would they do in unity? You see, we as a people, I'm going to teach on this in a few weeks, we as a people come in to the body of Christ to legislate on his behalf. As kings and priests, we come as a people to legislate on behalf of the kingdom. So when we agree, when we stand with somebody, and as a body we agree, we are legislating in the heavens, we are creating rule and reign and making it so. That's what God does. It's through him. It's his authority that he allows us to operate in. Does that make sense? So when you're hurting, when you're hurting and you don't see any way out, bring a brother or a sister, I need you to pray with me. It doesn't have to be me or Jess. Bring somebody you trust. Stand with somebody you trust. Why? Because there's power where two or more are gathered in my name. I am in their midst. And there's legislative power to actually, authority, out of my authority, establish against that thing. Does that make sense? Paul is saying there's life, there's death in the power of your tongue. Choose your words carefully and monitor what it is you say. We're not all going to get this right. I don't get it right. There's times where I say stuff and I go, Ben, stop, you goose. I call myself a goose from time to time. Because we have to learn. That's the renewing of our mind, understanding what it is God's saying. 
James 3, 3 says, Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great are forests set ablaze by such a small fire? Ask yourself this, where is my tongue leading my ship? Where is my tongue leading my ship, my family, my kids, my work environment? Where is my tongue leading it? Into the kingdom of heaven and the growth of God or into the kingdom of darkness and the, and the destruction of all that I have? Where is my tongue leading the ship? He continues on and he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now this is going to be a little bit challenging because... I wrote this and rewrote this and wrote it again. I went back into the scriptures. I went back to the Hebrew and Greek. I said, God, are you really saying that? I got four older brothers, and there's one thing that we used to always joke about that jumped into my heart when I read this. We used to live on a on a river. And dad allowed us, once I was old enough to swim, because I'm the youngest, dad allowed us to go on our own, right? Once I could swim across the river, it was about a 55, 60 meter swim from one end to the other. Once I could achieve the swim on my own, I was allowed to go with the boys without dad coming with me, right? Which was a big, I remember it being a big check in my life. But there was something that we would always hear because we five brothers and all our friends down a riverbank throwing mud and sticks and things at each other. There was always a cry. Wasn't always me, may have been. But someone would always get upset. It was one thing we never, ever wanted to hear from our father. One thing. Boy, I'm not angry with you. I'm just disappointed. That will rock a son. He goes, oh, he could have yelled at me, called me for everything. He said, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. In a calm voice that just leveled you. You wanted more than anything. God, father, I'm so sorry. Dad, please, let me make it up to you. I'll do the dishes. There was this level of being yelled at and rage. You could take that on the chin. You walk away, yeah, Dad was pretty mad, but I got away with it. But that, I'm not angry at you. I'm just disappointed. Because I trusted you with something and you let me down. That would wreck us as kids. I remember it still to this day. That was the last thing we wanted to hear because we wanted to make our dad proud. We didn't want to disappoint him. That's what it means when Paul is saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not act in a way that makes him say, my boy, I never wanted you to do that. My daughter, I never wanted you to do that. I'm disappointed in how you've acted. That word, grieve, lupio, it means to distress, to make sad, to be in heaviness. But see, when God watches us operate, when God sees us do the things we know we shouldn't, when he sees us operate in a place of worldliness, in a place of, of an unsanctified mind, God is an, uh, this angry tyrant God who's angry at us. He says, I know that's going to hurt you. I'm disappointed that you didn't act the way that I had for you. I'm saddened that you acted in that manner because now I have to watch you go through the heartache of coming back in that place. See, we think or we've drawn up this image of God that he's angry and we've got to do everything that he says because that'll appease him 
and make him okay and make him love us more. No, he's a loving father. No matter how many times our dad said to you, I'm disappointed in you, his heart was always love. The fullness of love. I love you, son, but you're acting like a child when I'm trying to get you to be an adult. That's what God does with us. That's how we operate when we grieve the Spirit. He says, don't you know who you are? I created you to be so much bigger than that. I created you to step in so much more than that. Paul says, don't grieve the Spirit. Walk in a manner, in the beginning of Ephesians, walk in a manner of which you've been called to. Walk in the way in which I know you are. My dad would always see us boys as men, as strong men. But when we acted like children, he would say, I'm disappointed that you're acting in a way that I know you're better than that. That's what God is saying to us. He's saying to us, walk in a way in which I've created you to be. I need about 15 more minutes. Is that okay? God is saying, do not grieve the Spirit. Do not grieve. Do not make sad the things of God. Because He wants you to be who He's called you to be. He continues on. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. The Oxford Dictionary puts these words like this. Bitterness is anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. Resentment. Having what you, what, what you think someone else has that's better than you. Why did he get that? The classic Australian tall poppy syndrome. Wrath means to be extremely angry. Anger means a strong feeling of annoyance or displeasure in hostility. Clamor means a loud and confused noise, especially people shouting, to yell at one another, to bring ourselves to a place of fire and anger toward the person across from me. To slander, to make false and damaging statements about someone. And malice, the desire to harm someone or have ill will towards someone. I was listening to this um, podcast by Francis Chan, and he said, you know, I, God showed him a revelation. He was reading through Mary, uh, through, through the mother of Mary when Jesus was in her womb, and God gave him a revelation that when he saw Mary, if he was to see Mary in today's day and age with Jesus Christ in her stomach and he knew who, he, who she was carrying, he would honour her and respect her with everything. And he said, picture yourself back in the time when Mary was pregnant. How would you treat Mary knowing who was in her stomach? Right? We would honour her. We would get her anything she needed. We would look after her. We would care for her. We would fight those who were speaking against her. We would stand in protection of her. And then Francis went on to say, the power of, of, of the life we live today is that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that inside who we are, we carry the very Spirit of God. So he said, God challenged me to treat everybody who is in Christ the way I would treat Mary carrying the baby, carrying Jesus. He got to a place where he realized, I have to understand that inside Matt is the Holy Spirit, that he is a representation of God the Father. 
He's an image bearer of the Holy One. That when I dishonor Him, when I operate in a place of malice towards Him, when I, when I sin against Him, it's against all of who He is, including the Spirit of God and the fullness of who He is. When we start to understand this, we have to start to think before we open our mouths against another church leader or another ministry or another person. Because we start to realize they are the representation of God. I can't remember where Paul says it. I think it's the Corinthians. But he speaks about the fact that do not judge another man. For you do not know the person who's called him. We have to start treating one another like like God is in them. We have to start walking with each other. Like this is my brother in Christ. I would do anything for my brothers. We don't always get along. But I would do anything for them. If I'm going to say that Matt is my brother, that Paul is my sister, then I have to act from a position of honoring them with all that I am. Paul is saying, stop acting toward each other like there's some random person you don't know. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ, a part of the same body that you're a part of. Forgive them. Be kind to them. Be tender-hearted to them. God forgave you in your mess. God's kind and tender-hearted to you in your mess. Be kind and tender-hearted to those in their mess. When they don't see the way you see, be honest with yourself. Understand, hey, i got just as much mess as they do. When I look in the mirror, I see just as much mess in me as I do in them. But I hope they're kind to me. I hope they're tender-hearted to me. I hope they see Christ in me. But I can't ask for that if I'm not willing to do it to them. Think about what you say with your mouth, the way you act with your body toward another brother and sister, toward anyone in that manner. I want to finish with this. Did Josh just go behind the thing? Can you just, yeah, can someone just grab Josh from me? I just want him to do something on the sound desk. I want to take a few minutes. Is everyone okay? If you have to snack or go, that's okay. But I want to take a few minutes. I've been challenged during the week. I want to share something that's sort of come apart from um, our prayer time. I've been challenged to, to operate as kings and priests, right? And I've really been feeling God saying to me, Ben, you are a king and a priest in me. Can you just put a pat on for me? Just lightly. You've been operating. You are a king and a priest, right? And this guy, Todd Weatherly, from uh, um, uh, a friend of, of ours from Adelaide, friend, good friend of Paul's, leads a church called Field of Dreams, he challenged on a podcast and he said, if you're a king and a priest, you've got to start acting like a king and a priest. And we love that verse, right? We're kings, we're priests. But the reality is, is that do we act like kings and priests? So I've really been challenged. He, he said, I challenge you to do this for a month. 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening, I want you to give it to God. Right? Just 15 minutes. Now you think about 15 minutes, it's really not that long. It's 15 minutes. Except for when your alarm goes off and your pillow feels really comfy. Or when the day finishes and you've had a rough day and everyone you, you've used all your words you've got left. And you get home and you've had dinner and you're laying on the couch and you think, Flip, I should go to bed. And then you go, oh, no, 15 minutes. And God has been wrestling with me and challenging me. And sometimes I've gone to my 15 minutes and said, Lord, I don't know what to say. I've got nothing left. My tank is empty. And 
God says, but will you come anyway? Will you come before me? And there's a practice that the ancient Jews would do called hit bodedu. And it was a Jewish thing that they would do, that the, the shepherds would do when they would bring the sheep to a pasture. They would take an hour every day, one hour every day, and they would reflect on two things, the Father and themselves in that hour. They would take a moment to reflect, who am I? who is he and who am I in him? But that wasn't their reading time. It wasn't the time they they took to learn the the Torah and to learn the scriptures. It wasn't the time they prayed for provision and a next place to lead the flock. It wasn't the time they spent trying to work out what God... It was a time for two things, reflection on the Father, reflection on themselves. So if that's an hour and the teaching time was an hour, there's the first two hours of our day. Now, I want to start small and challenge us in this. But I've been doing this 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at night. I've missed times here or there. That's okay. You don't have to whip yourself for missing a time. But can I tell you, there's a beauty in it like I've never seen before. And that's outside of my normal prayer time, outside of my normal reading time. These 15 minutes, morning and night, to to reflect on two things, the Father and myself and how I relate to the Father. And there's times where I've had to say, oh God, I handled that situation poorly. I come home from a day and I go for my 15 minutes and think God's going to pump my tires up and encourage me. And I'm laying there on my back and God says, you dealt with that poorly, son. And you're like, oh Lord, I'm too tired for this. I want to go to bed. But he says, you're coming before me to reflect on me and to reflect on yourself. So I want to just take, we don't have to do 15 minutes, but I I want to just do... A little time now, while we're all here, to just reflect on who God is. And there's a part of that reflection on self where you have to do this. Lord, search my heart. Find the things that I did poorly in my parenting, that I did poorly in my husbanding or my wifing, that I did poorly in my job, that I did poorly as an image bearer of you. Help me change. Help me see you deeper. So now, if you want to grab a spot, if you want to lay down, if you want to stand, if you want to sit, do so, whichever you'd like to do. I recommend taking off your fuzzy watch and putting your phone in a place you can't reach. Because for me, I don't want to be distracted by anything. But I I want to read Psalm 139, and then we're just going to take a moment in silence to just reflect on him to the choir master the psalm of David O Lord you have searched me and known me you know when I sit down and when I rise up you discern my thoughts from afar You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is a light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, of men, of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malice intent, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And I do not loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with complete hatred, and I count them as my enemies. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting.